I want to thank Nancy and um, Paul, and I'll take the blame for the wrong graphic. This evening, we're going to participate, as has been said, in a sacred assembly. Joel chapter 1, verse 14 is a verse that we've shared just about every week since the first of the year. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, <clears throat> excuse me, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the <clears throat> house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. And the question comes up, why? Why are we going to participate in a sacred assembly? Why are we going to cry out to the Lord? I think we've shared some of the reasons for that, again, since the first of the year, but I want to clarify just a little more uh, this morning. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 20, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. We're familiar with that. But I want to personalize a book called The Eighth Letter by Mark Barnard and Ken Quick. And they say that simple yet profound promise that where two or three gather together as Jesus' followers, here he is here among them, becomes more sobering when put in the context of what Jesus knows about Grace Chapel, but still dwells with us. We theoretically assume the Lord's omniscience, omniscience that he's everywhere present, but the immediacy and depth of his knowledge of what is taking place in our corporate setting goes unappreciated by most church leaders. If we saw Jesus as John did, the high priest amidst his church, and then found him walking down the aisle of our church, looking at us with eyes as of fire, searching our hearts and motives, who could endure it? If we saw him presiding over our board meetings and fellowship gatherings, would we be more or less comfortable? Would we say the things to each other we often say or feel about each other around us and what we often feel? In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we find seven letters to seven churches, letters from Jesus, letters he wrote to each of these churches after walking down their aisle, having searched their hearts and motives, having visited their board meetings and fellowship gatherings. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 to 20. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things. The first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, 
He comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the land of the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit and suddenly I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, and I I would put in here, it's similar to Isaiah's experience in Isaiah 6-5, when he said, then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies, similar to John. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of king, the death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Despite the fearsomeness of the vision, Jesus' presence in their midst had to be a tre tremendous encouragement to these seven little churches, each under siege in its own way, each struggling with some internal and external problems. Some were facing crisis, some were headed to one. Some were both in, already in such spiritual destitution and corporate sickness that Jesus' continued willingness to deal with them, to speak to them, demonstrates the depths of his grace. And we need to keep in mind that he had dwelt among some churches who were in deep sense of repentance. One even left him standing outside their fellowship seeking entrance. If anyone heard his voice and opened the door, he still knocked. He had not left them yet. However, 
George Bernard and Ken Quicks has said that his commitments has, has limits as reflected in what he says to the churches at two of the churches, Ephesus and Laodicea. Local churches, unlike individual believers, do not get eternal life. Paul was explaining that with the bell curve. He will cease to dwell with them corporately if they cease listening to him, but he stays committed to a local church body as long as some continue to respond to him. Very early in our existence as a transition team, we examined the letters to the seven churches. We discovered that there was a similar structure to each letter that was written. There was commendation, there was challenge, and there was correction. And briefly, here's what we found. This, this is the findings of the transition team. In the church of Ephesus, the commendation was that they were hard workers, that they had patient endurance, that they didn't tolerate evil people. They discovered false teachers. They patiently suffered without quitting. They hated the evil deeds of a certain group in their church. The challenge that Jesus gave to this church was that they were to do what they did at first, to repent and listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit was saying to them. The correction of this church is that they had lost their love for each other and Christ. Smyrna, the next church, the commendation is that they were spiritually rich. The challenge was that they would remain faithful even, though, even through death and suffering. And the correction was that they were not to be afraid of what is about to happen to them. The church in Pergamon, the commendation is that they refused to deny Christ. They remain loyal. The challenge was that they listened to the Spirit. The correction is that they tolerated wrong teaching and, in, and inappropriate behavior. Thyatira, Commendation, they, they uh, love and faith, service and endurance, constantly improving. The challenge was that they repent and turn away, that they hold tight, that they listen and obey. The correction is that they had been following a false prophet. Sardis, the commendation, was that they had a good reputation, that there were some righteous people in their church. The challenge was to wake up, go back to the beginning, to the original vision and the, the original commitments and hold on to things that they were taught and repent. The correction is even though they had a good reputation, they were dead. Actions didn't meet the requirements of God. Church in Philadelphia, kind of interesting that we would have a church just down the road. Um, the commendation is that <clears throat> they had little strength, but they obeyed God that they persevered, they did not deny God. And the challenge was that they hold on to what they had. And this is encouraging, there was no correction to the Philadelphia church. And more encouragement. But then, Laodicea, the commendation, there was no commendation of this church. The challenge opened the door invest in the eternal, not the material, that they be diligent and they turn from indifference. The correction is that they had been self-sufficient, lukewarm, miserable, blind, 
naked. But here's the kicker. They didn't even know it. That brings us to Grace Chapel. What commendation, challenge, and correction would Jesus share with Grace Chapel if he were to write a letter to us? The transition team has written a letter that we believe Jesus would send to Grace Chapel and we'll be reading it this evening. We will formally repent of our sin. We will confess the failures of the church. Our prayer is that we would return anew to God and his purposes, that we would humble ourselves before Christ, that we would surrender completely to him, and our prayer is that we would then receive his grace. Bernard and Quick in their eighth letter said, we had better be willing to hear from God, the, God, the Lord of our church, if he has an issue with us. We had better be willing to hear from the Lord of our church if he has an issue with us. Psalm 51, 17, and then I close. The sacrifices you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. O oh Lord. My prayer for this evening is that as a group of people, we would humble ourselves before God and one another. Amen. Worship team.